0: So, I I gave a rough title, a working title to this talk called Rage, Grief, Hope, and Despair. So, that should give you some idea of where I'm going to go with this. Um, It actually, you know, this has been a really difficult week, I think, for for me and for the country and for a lot of us. and I was actually feeling a bit um, off kilter a week ago. And it happened for a while. And I noticed it because I had a couple of experiences. Like I, um, I saw a thing on Facebook from the, uh, our local animal, animal, animal shelter, the Burbank Animal Shelter. I think it was on Facebook. I don't remember where I saw it. But they said, dogs love to chew on ice. And it's really hot. It was really hot for a while. And if you're in the store and the supermarket and you have uh, think of it, maybe you can buy a bag of ice and drop it off at the at the shelter. And so I live five blocks from the shelter and I was in the store last weekend. And so I picked up a couple of bags of ice and I went over to the shelter and I dropped it off and they have a, a, a donation bin outside and I dropped the ice off and somebody opened the door and took it in and said, thank you. And I started sobbing. I just started crying. And so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that just it just comes up. And I've had a, a few of those incidents of why is this bringing up so much emotion? And I was reflecting on it. It's it's it has to do, I think, with the pandemic. And the the situation we've all been in for five months, and everything else going on in the world, it's really. Uh, it may seem that we've gotten to a new normal, but it's not really. There's a lot of. Well, what I what I did is as I was reflecting on these these episodes of really being sensitive and crying for, really, um, not very. Powerful or deep moments, um, I was trying to get, see what was underneath that. And what came to me was, was this deep grief that was present or this mourning and um, because of the pandemic, because of the great losses that we've all experienced. And I don't even know if we know the magnitude of the loss that we've experienced from this. I don't think that'll be known for quite some time. And so that that was impacting me. And then then I don't remember there was the shooting of another black man this week. And then the 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 shooting from that 17 year old terrorist um, at protesters and all the back and forth. And so there is this rage, and there is this grief, and there's this hope, and there's this despair, and in fact, I was meeting with someone on Tuesday, and she was telling me a story about some incident in her life that was incredibly sad, and I, um, uh, she asked the question, she said, how do, how do Buddhists deal with grief, or what would the Buddha say about grief? And so I wanted to um, I wanted to investigate that and really uh, look at grief in in the um, in the uh, lens through the lens of these teachings. And so um, and how do we move through this? So I looked at what uh, what's in the suttos. And um, there, there are a few suttas, and there is a the Buddha had a couple of um, a few very cl- disciples attendants that were very very close to him. Um, two of whom were Sariputta and Moggiana, and both of those they were very wise. They were enlightened, and they died before he did. And I had always been told that the Buddha experienced a lot of grief when they died. And I don't actually know if that was true because I haven't found it in the suttas. What I did find is um, when Sariputta died, um, word was given to Ananda, who was uh, the, the Buddha's right-hand attendant, Just to, and he was not enlightened. He did not become enlightened until after the Buddha died. So Ananda was shaken up when he heard that Sariputta had passed, and he went to the Buddha and he sat down and he said, Sariputta has passed away, and it's it's a great tragedy and such a loss. And he said, when I heard the news, it was like a shock to me. I, that's not exactly what he said, but when I was reading the sutta, it felt like, you know, when you get that word like, you know, Chadwick Boseman passed away, and that was a tremendous shock. Or you hear a loss, and it feels like you get a kick kicked in the gut. And that's what it felt like he experienced based on the sutta. And the Buddha's like. You know, we talk about that in the first noble truth. There is death, there is loss, there is this separation from that which we love. And he said, and Ananda said, but but these people are going to go without a great teacher. And and the Buddha, this is where one time, one of the times, the Buddha said, well, people can be a light unto themselves. They should not be dependent on those outside of themselves to teach them, to bring them. You know, wisdom. They have the Dharma. They have the teachings. And and um, the the Buddha asked uh, Ananda, did did Sariputta lose his equanimity? Did he lose his enlightenment? Was he no longer concentrated? And Ananda said, no. And he's like, well, then it's okay. He's he's gone to the deathless. He's gone to the beyond. He's he will not be reborn again because he's he let go of attachment. So there's not a lot of acknowledgement of grief in that um the same thing was true when the buddha was getting ready to pass away and die and he knew he was dying and he told his his followers and they were all distraught as well and he again he said to them um all conditioned things are impermanent so just be diligent be a lamp unto yourselves you can find your own way this is what happens when you are um when you have reached this place of non-attachment, you just don't, are not reborn again. And so there's, there's not a lot of emphasis or talking about how to work through grief. But this is what um, I've talked about a couple of times recently, this, this idea, this differentiation between the absolute and the relative. And the absolute is that place you get to when you are enlightened. that, oh, impermanence, okay, I get it, but I'm not enlightened, so I don't know what it's like to experience loss as an enlightened being, I'm still, I'm still working my way through the world, which is where the teaching around the relative comes in, that, yeah, I'm still, uh, Got some attachment. I still experience emotions. I still experience grief. So how do I work through this? And, I, and the Buddha was not um, um, blind to this. In fact, there was there's another sutta of a woman. Of, this is a very famous story of a woman whose child died and she just kind of went temporarily insane with grief. And she went to everyone and said, give me medicine to heal my son. And they were like, lady, this is there's no healing with your child. And she finally came to the Buddha and said, can you help me? Can you give me medicine? And he said, sure, bring me a mustard seed from the house of, uh, go to the town, go to the village, the city, and knock on every door and, and bring me a mustard seed from the home that has not experienced death. And she went, yay! And so she went door to door, and they said, she said, "Do you have a mustard seed you can give me?" And they're like, "Sure." It's like the most common, common thing, going. And then she said, "And have you have you experienced death in this house?" And they all said, "Innumerable." It's we can't even count how many deaths we've experienced in this family in these years. And she came to realize that it's that it's um it's a fact of life. And so I think the teaching is around recognizing that it's a fact of life. But if you're not enlightened, you don't fight against the reality, but you turn towards the experience. And that's what we're invited to do with these teachings. That was, that was what uh, uh, some of the instruction was in, in the meditation. If you're feeling something, if there's an emotion present, acknowledge it. Be with it. Frank Ostaseski, who is a, a very wise teacher and has worked with death and dying for many years, um, talks about how we have to be present for the emotions. Um, none of us are enlightened, so if we're not enlightened, we have to learn to be with those, those this discomfort that arises. And he says... When thinking about grief, he says, we may think of grief as a solid thing that will eclipse our life or a black hole that we will fall into and never escape. Our tendency for self-protection leads us to store the conflicting emotions of grief in some dark, cramped corner of the mind or body. But avoidance or resistance to grief only intensifies the pain. This resistance only intensifies the pain. And there's a poem from one of the nuns, the, the elder nuns, um, the Terigata. The, there's a, a collection of poems, the, the first enlightened women in the time of the Buddha. And there's a poem that speaks to this. And it's called Vasethi, which is the woman's name. When a child dies, everyone grieves. But a mother's grief is different. Not more real or more important, just different. I can talk about it like this now. Back then, I just wandered from place to place. I don't know if I ate. I don't know if I slept. From the bottom of that darkness, I heard a voice. It was just a whisper, so I leaned towards it and became a bucket pulled slowly up from the bottom of a well. In the same way, I called out to my grief and drew it towards me. I held my grief and gently rocked it. Shh, I said, there, 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 there. People sometimes ask, wasn't it painful? Weren't you afraid? Yes, it was painful. So is giving birth. Oh my heart, you mustn't fear the pain. So this is an enlightened being, or an enlightened uh, woman from the time of the Buddha who acknowledges the pain of grief, the pain of loss, but says, you mustn't fear it, you have to hold it gently and rock it, there, 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 and that's what we're asked to do, as Ostaseski says, we think it's this solid thing that's going to overcome us. But instead, it's this emotion that we have to tend to. It's this feeling. And I think these, this, this, um, this thing that he says, his quote about um, thinking this emotion of grief is a solid thing, can be used for um, all the emotions we deem undesirable. Um, anger. You know, we may think of anger as a solid thing that will eclipse us and we'll fall into. I've heard that many, many times from people. As Just as I've heard that people say they're afraid to cry because they're afraid they'll be overwhelmed and not able to stop. You know, and it's like you step back from the fear and tend to what's actually present. There's a book called Permission to Feel uh, written by a man Mark Brackett, who I haven't read the book, but I heard him on a podcast with Brene Brown earlier, um, uh, several months ago, um, um, I think in April, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And he was talking about the grief we're feeling. And he wrote, he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. And then he wrote another recent book on grief, The Permission to Feel. And he says, there's, there's no these, these feelings that we label bad are not bad. They're just feelings. We have to take away the judgment about it, which is why I invite you to not um, put on the mantle of "I am afraid" or "I am in grief" or "I am." Instead, just recognize that oh, this emotion is here because it's here. It's a feeling. When we when we judge it. Um, as bad or undesirable. I love what he says. He says when we put a judgment on it, it's almost there's this, this um, little tag line that goes with it that um, judgment deserves punishment. It almost feels that it has that flavor. Um, if it's bad, it should be punished. And so we, 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 you know, spiral off into this crazy thinking about judging our feelings and they're bad and I'll get caught up in them and push them away. And, and we're also trained to believe certain things about various, um, um, emotions. Like sometimes people are like, okay, you have a day and a half to grieve, then you got to get over it. You know, time's up, time's up or anger is bad, can't feel that, or any of the jealousy, how can you be jealous, you greedy little bitch, whatever it is, it's like, so really be cautious, and instead of judging, just turn towards and tend to, and he talks about, um, very. it's not Buddhist, his teaching is not Buddhist, but it's very similar to what the Buddha invites us to do, and he says, recognize the emotion, that's what the Buddha says, and he said, recognize the emotion and find the cues in the body and the mind that's what the Buddha says know, when you're when there's anger know there's anger when there's sadness know it's there when there's joy know it's there can you feel it in your body what is, what does it feel like when you're angry what does it feel like when there's when there's sadness um, understand it know the causes and conditions oh this is what's happening. You know, like when I was crying at the drop of a hat for um, really, really simple things. It's like, okay, there's something something underneath this. So investigating it, um, what's underlying it. And he's talking, he used an example. If there's anger, are you angry about injustice? Can you drill down to really have a, a, a wise understanding about what's going on? So it's really important to be willing to hold these things, to hold the grief, to hold the despair, to hold the anger, whatever it is that's coming up, especially right now, because it's it's um, it's it's here. It's absolutely here. Um, It's it's an incredibly challenging time for everyone. It's I don't care who you are. I mean, my circumstances, I am incredibly lucky, I'm, personally, I, I'm fine, my, my husband and I are doing fine, but it's, it's the world, and it's the, the incredible sadness, and, and the violence that's present, and the greed, and the hatred that's just uh, so um, palpable, so that brings up the question Of hope I, um, I I looked into this a couple of years ago because I was at a um, a thing here in LA and it was this 10 day thing called I think it was called rise up and it was this multi it was like talks and art and activities and it was really quite extraordinary they had it a few years in a row. And I went to this one evening, and they had, uh, it was a talk with John Legend and Brian Stevenson. And Brian Stevenson wrote the book Just Mercy, and he founded the Equal Justice Initiative. And Just Mercy was actually a movie, I don't know, it came out this early this year or last year with um, Michael B. Jordan. And it was a book based on the, um, uh, the movie based on the book. He He works with men. Or people who have been incarcerated either unjustly or the sentences are way out of whack and tries to free them. It's really powerful. I haven't seen the movie, but the book is incredibly powerful. I was crying while I was reading that, and I know exactly why I was crying. So um, they talked about hope and love. John Legend and Brian Stevenson talked about hope and love. So I was so inspired by their conversation. I wanted to teach about hope and love. And I looked into hope. And it's not actually a Buddhist concept. Right? It makes you angry. There should be. There should be. But because I think in, in the teachings or when you think about hope, it's about um, craving. Or there's a danger of craving. There's a danger of attachment. And in fact, there's a word um, in the suttas called nirasa and it can be translated as hopeless or wishless or without expectation and what it actually means is being in a condition of not lacking anything so there's no need to have craving or hope or desire and I think again it's one of those absolutes that place of what you are experiencing when you're enlightened but it's not the not the reality of how we walk around in this world where there's this relative experience our deep conditioning so um, Joan Halifax Roshi Joan Halifax who's another incredibly wise wise teacher Zen teacher um, and a Zen priest and she talks about wise hope so it's not technically hope that we normally think of it but she says it's um, rather wise hope is seeing things as they are including the truth of suffering both its existence and our capacity to transform transform it. So it's an aspiration to awaken from suffering, which is what Buddhism is. It's what the path is. And they talk about faith or conviction in Buddhism. It's one of the the spiritual qualities, this faith. And I think that has a flavor of hope. And I think a lot of times semantics uh, get in the way of our experience of what we're doing and so I think hope can be used but caution to not get caught up in desire or craving or outcome because that's what can happen when we get into this place of of wanting things to be a certain way I hope it turns out a certain way it's like we can have a desire yeah it would be nice you know when I go to the store I hope I'll make it back home alive. I mean, you know, I don't have an attachment to it, but I hope it happens. I hope I, when I go to sleep, I hope when my husband goes to sleep that he wakes up in the morning. I mean, you know, there's that type of stuff, but there's not that. I got to have that obsessive quality. I just have faith it'll happen, this trust. And, and I think when we set our intention, like I have great faith in the Dharma, that if I set an intention and walk in this direction, and practice what the teachings are, I'm going to experience things differently than if I don't. Um, if, I, if I move through the world with loving kindness and compassion um, and a reality and a, and, a, and a willingness to experience reality, it'll go much better than if I fight things tooth and nail. Because I have fought things tooth and nail and it didn't work out very well. Um, now I'm much more open and allow things to be and have learned how to be with grief, have learned how to be with um, deep sadness and pain and loss, and learned how to be with joy, the joy in this moment, even in the midst of all this 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 awfulness that's been churning up this week. Um, I went to the market, the, a different supermarket, and I found cherries. And I wasn't looking for them because cherry season's over, but there was a whole bunch of them. And I was like, score, because it's my favorite, favorite, favorite. And um, I found more. I have another week's worth of cherries. So there's joy. So when you're present in the moment, you can experience with whatever shows up if you're awake to it, if you're open and present for it. But I wanted to offer another, um, another take on hope which I find incredibly interesting because a lot of people, especially today, are talking about how can I be hopeful when I see the state of the world, when I see the state of, um, of the environment, when I see what's going on and, and we work and we work and we work and we don't see any results. And I talk a lot about John Lewis, who said this is not the work of a lifetime or a presidential debate. He says it's the work of generations and generations. And I finished a book. I read a book last week by a woman, Austin Channing Brown. And I first heard of her. She was also on Brene Brown's podcast I listened to um, a few months ago. And she wrote a book called We're Still Here. I think that's what it is. She's a black woman. And she wrote her experience being that. That, um, one of a few black people at your, at your office or one of those handful of black kids in your school and what that experience was like. And she talked about hope. And she talked about not having a lot of hope as a black woman. And so I want to just read a piece from her book. Um, and she says, I have learned not to fear the death of hope. I cannot hope in whiteness. I cannot hope in white people who, or white institutions or white America. I cannot hope in lawmakers or politicians, and I cannot hope even in the pastors or ministers or mission statements. I cannot hope in misquoted wisdom from MLK, superficial ethnic heritage celebrations, or love that is aloof. I cannot hope even in myself. I am no one's savior. The longer this list gets, the more elusive hope becomes. But she also told a story or quoted something by ta Coates, who is a great writer and has written a number of pieces. He wrote a book called Between the World and Me, which is a, a, a letting his son know what it's going to be like being a black person in America. And and they were asking him, there's a, he was in an interview, and they asked him about hope. And he talked about slaves, slavery in the country lasted about 250 years. So he says, imagine a slave around 1750, 1760. Generation upon generation upon generation of his ancestors were enslaved, enslaved. Generation upon generation upon generation of his descendants were slaves. So he's got, you know, 125 years either side of enslavement. And he said, there was no real hope within their individual lifespan of ending enslavement, the most brutal form of degradation in this country's history. There was nothing in their life that said, this will end in my lifetime. I will see the end of this. And they struggled and they resisted. So it's about doing it even if there's no hope. So she, and then she continued and said, this is the shadow of hope, knowing that we may never see the realization of our dreams and yet still showing up. You know, I do not believe that I or my children or grandchildren will live in an America that has achieved racial equality. And so I stand in the legacy of all that black Americans have already accomplished in their resistance, in their teachings, in their voices, in their faith. And I work toward a un- world unseen, currently unimaginable. So that, um, I think, is a really important, um, I think it's a really important idea. At least I found it incredibly important and powerful and resonant going, oh, I don't have to have the promise of seeing a result. So many activists and organizers I know get burned out because they feel that they're, they're spinning their wheels to, to a certain extent. And it's not about that outcome. It's about doing what needs to be done. It's about seeing where suffering is, having that wise hope that Joan Halifax talked about, the wise hope of um, an aspiration to awaken from suffering. And um, the capacity to transform suffering, both for ourselves and for others, which is what this this, this Buddhism for me is really about. It's not just about myself um, becoming enlightened. I have no hope of that. I might get closer to it, but I have no hope of it. But it's about um, doing it for all beings and doing what needs to be done right now and keep pushing the ball along. If you look at the grand scheme of things, I think we have come a long way from where we used to be thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago. Big picture, but when we're in the the depths of it, it seems so overwhelming. It's like facing grief. It's like, oh my God, it feels like it's a solid thing that will eclipse our lives, as Ostaseski says. And so when we're in the midst of this, it's easy to fall into despair. But to have this idea, this recognition that suffering is still here, how can I move towards ending it? So having the hope that just kicking the can down a little bit is really important to do. Um, And a couple of words, um, a couple of quotes from a couple of suttas, by protecting oneself, by, by undertaking these teachings and making this a way of life, And living with this integrity and moral virtue by protecting ourselves in this way, with these teachings, with the Dharma, one protects others. By protecting others, one protects oneself. We make it safe for others in the world. Um, He who has understanding and great wisdom does not think of harming himself or another, nor of harming both alike. Rather, he thinks of his own welfare, and that of others, and that of both, and that welfare of the whole world. In that way, one shows understanding and great wisdom. So, we're, we we don't get lost in that despair, but we, we recognize that it's a practice of, of, of not harming others, not harming ourselves. And... <clears throat> There's a book, a great book called uh, Concise um, Buddhism: A Concise Introduction by Euston Smith, and he talks about one of the sayings of the Buddhas of the Buddha that captures of his legacy is to refrain from evil, to achieve the good, to purify the mind. That is the teaching of all awakened ones. to refrain from evil and to achieve the good. and to work towards ending that suffering. So, um, those are kind of my thoughts. That's kind of the the reflection I had this week on rage and grief and hope and despair. And I hope uh, that it has um, um, a a word or two has landed and has um, sparked some reflection in you.